You're listening to Poolside Podcast. This is episode number 69, and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. Today, I am sharing with you the conversation I had with Marin McHugh, who is the founder of Dopamine, which is a company that focuses on mind, body, and life coaching. I've known Marin for four or five years now, um, just through spin she teaches at yyc cycle and that was where i first met her and since then i've been to a few of her workshops and i'm always interested to hear her speak because she is very good at speaking has a great story and has really taken her experience and made it into an inspiring and motivational company and she always has a ton of good takeaways from any time that she is speaking In this podcast, she talks about her journey through university and playing uh, university basketball and the mental struggles she was continually overwhelmed with. She talks about her eating disorder and really when she hit the rock bottoms of her journey and she talks about how those dark moments and her road to recovery eventually led her to starting her own business where she can help other people live their best life. Um, she is very empathetic with the clients that she does have because she went through and is still on the journey of recovering and growing her mental strength. She focuses on mindset, habits, goals, and like I said, mental strength. On the podcast, she shares her tools and tactics for recognizing burnout and how to slow down in our hustle-oriented society as well as advice for anyone who's looking to turn their passion into a full-time job. Marin can cover a ton of topics and I will definitely have to have her back on the podcast because we just couldn't cover everything in one episode, but I know you will love this one. I found it super interesting to listen to her and hear her story and takeaways. So let us jump into it. Here is Marin. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm sitting here with Marin. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Do you want to start with introducing yourself, what you do, and give us three fun facts to get going? Yeah, okay. So uh, my name is Marin McHugh. I run a life, uh, mind-body-life coaching business called Dopamine, and I write. I've written one book. I'm going to write a second book. That's a big goal for this summer. And I'm a fitness instructor, so I teach yoga and climb classes and boot camp and spin classes. I was like, am I going to forget all the things that I teach? Um, Yeah, so that's kind of all the things that I do. And three random fun facts. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm the middle child of seven. It's a fun one. Uh, I was born and raised Mormon. Not Mormon anymore. Uh, fun fact Uh, I proposed to my husband we're not actually married we call each other husband and wife but I did propose to him eight years ago interesting (laughs) we skipped the marriage I was like how come you didn't actually get married then yeah uh, we wear rings well he doesn't even wear his ring anymore that's a whole story but but we're talking about getting tattooed rings on actually neither of us I like necklaces and bracelets but I don't generally wear rings and yeah, he's he's my forever guy. Even mm-hmm. even sometimes, I'm like I don't know if you're my forever guy, but he is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and before we get into what you do now and everything you just mentioned, yeah. do you want to go back a bit and 
talk about what you took in school and what you <coughs> thought you were going to be when you grew up. Yeah. So the first first career that I thought I was going to have was to be a professional basketball player. That's from like the age of four or five. I was proclaiming that out loud. I was going to be a professional basketball player. Uh, so in school, I took a few things. It took me about six years to get my undergrad because I was going through a lot at the time, including playing basketball and but also being really unhealthy uh, and basketball had lost lost its luster at that point and so I was struggling with a lot of different mental health afflictions at that point so uh, I went to four different schools uh, but I started with a psychology I started with psychology and then I was studying women's studies for a bit um, and then I landed in philosophy so I finished with a philosophy degree yeah well cool. and then at U of A, because you play basketball in the States, yes. right? Yeah, I played at San Diego State, and then at Mount Royal, and then at UVic, and then I hung up my basketball shoes and decided to just try to devote to school. And then what did you do after school? What was your initial mm -hmm. career path with a philosophy degree? Yeah, so it was a big question people would ask me, is <laughs> what are you going to do with that? And I... I had just gotten to the point where I, I realized that I, I have no idea what I want to do and I needed to just follow what I found was interesting and, and what I would what I would study and what I wanted to pay attention to. And so that's why I finished with philosophy. It was the only the only courses that I really, really got into and I would come home from school and just sit and write and I, I, I just loved philosophy so much. Um, so I started working at Lululemon when I finished university. Uh, my brother was working there at the time. We were in Edmonton, and um, Dallin was working at the Kingsway store. And it definitely helps when you already have a sibling or a friend that works at the store. So I started working there and uh, worked at Lululemon for six years at three different locations while I was figuring out what I want to do with the rest of my life. Right. And yeah. what were the biggest lessons you learned through Lulu? Because I know they... Mm -hmm are very big on like goal setting and oh, yeah. doing all of that. So kind yeah. of what did you take away from working at Lulu? Yeah, goal setting was a huge, huge part of it. There's so much that I loved about working at Lululemon. Actually, their culture is amazing. Uh, the retail side of it is what I couldn't handle anymore. That's I got sick of that really quickly. Um, but I loved the culture. I loved the leadership development and the goal setting and um, the books and workshops and events there was so much that I loved about it so it was actually in my first um, training session where they pulled out this big booklet of all about goal setting and I had never experienced that pie chart before where it's you know in a circle put down your I can't remember exactly how they phrased it but like the most important things in your life like break it down into a pie chart and then kind of grade yourself like how well are you performing or paying attention or um, are you feeling in these areas of your life and, and to put a number or a line so that you could then look at it and realize, you know, where do you need to be spending more time and attention on these things that you've said are really important to you. So that really stood out to me. I'd never done anything like that before. And I declared in that session that I want to be the, the goal coacher for the store and I want to be a key leader. And I, so I just put it out there right away and, uh, yeah, so within a couple months, I was a key leader, so just the step up from educator and gives you a little more opportunity to coach people and practice leadership and management. And um, So goal setting was a huge part of what I really, really took away from the 11th. There were so many things. I 
yeah, it would take a while. I haven't really thought about it in a while, actually. But uh, it's funny, the more time that passes, the fonder my memories are of Lululemon. Um, but yeah, great, great company. Lots of goal setting was definitely the, the biggest thing, though. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is so funny that, that now that that's really what you do as well. <laughs> well, that's really why like, it was while working at Lululemon that I kept mm-hmm. asking myself the question, if I could do anything all day, every day, and make a living, what would it be? And I didn't have an answer for that, but I kept asking myself the question until finally, after goal coaching over 100, well over 100 people, I got to the point where I realized I love goal coaching. And I had really added in more resources because I realized that everybody's different and I have to meet people where they're at. And some people get lit up in this way of goal coaching and other people need different language or are love more like the 10 year vision versus the writing out goals. So I just became really fascinated with seeing how it connected with different people. And so I finally asked myself that question again. And the answer was I would sit in a cafe and have one person after another come in and we would have real talk. We would get into goal setting. We would talk about what's holding them back. And so that's when I realized, okay, I want to be a coach and I don't know what that looks like or how to do it, but at least I have a direction now. So it's, it's really because of Lou Lemon that I'm now doing what I do. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned you have the book, Be the Change. Yeah. So if people want to really dive deep into your whole story, they yeah. can read that. But do you want to give us just a brief summary about some of the events in your life and some of the struggles that you went through during mm-hmm. those period and how that coupled with goal setting and Lululemon, how that led to starting your business mm-hmm. today? Yeah. Um, where to even begin? Yeah, my, it's funny when I try to tell my story now because I've gone in such depth in, in writing the book and having these conversations. Sometimes it's hard to simplify it. But basically, I, from a very early age, I had some mental health struggles. And a big part of it was just my, my temperament of just being a high achiever. I'm really good at effort. I'm really good at doing all the things. And I didn't know how to slow it down. I didn't have a break. It was either all or nothing. And... I was raised in an environment with a mom and a couple sisters at the time who had severe body image issues and eating disorders that were developing from a young age. So the conversations that I heard from a young age were quite disordered around food and body. And so that was my normal. And and I remember at the age of five being at the swimming pool at a summer camp and having my belly tucked in. I already had this compulsion or habit of I need to have a flat tummy and I would keep it sucked in and looking at the other girls my age and none of them had their tummy sucked in their five their bellies were hanging loose and I remember (laughs) having this moment of a little bit of judgment and also like wow they look so free they look so happy like they're not thinking about their bodies they're just having fun so that that just that moment really stood out to me because I could tell like well I'm different and I didn't understand how or why at that point, but it was definitely noticeable. And and so this just got worse and worse and worse. I developed a pretty severe eating disorder and had really negative self-talk. And um, I was able to push it off a little bit because I had such big goals with basketball. I, that kept me my issues minor while my, my two older sisters were having really severe mental health, health issues. Mine weren't that bad because I was still playing a sport and I had these goals that were keeping me focused and distracted, but it was still stuff was going on beneath the surface. So I kept saying to myself, I'll be happy when, 
know, this classic, I hear it all the time now. It's, you know, I'll be happy when I live in this city or I'll be happy when I have that. I'll be happy when I, I can be with this person. Or for me, it was when I have a six pack, when I have a boyfriend and when I have my full ride scholarship, then I'll be happy. But one after another, I got these things and realized that's not how happiness works. And it really, really rocked me. So I remember walking around, you know, I got my full ride scholarship to San Diego State and walking around campus really frustrated and confused because I'm still the same person, but here I am in this beautiful environment. Uh, but I was miserable and I had really, really terrible habits. I didn't know how to feed myself properly and I was terrified of food, really. I used it to celebrate and I used it to punish myself. And I, so I, I just didn't have much energy and, and so I wasn't performing very well and I was used to being a star player and now I'm on the bench and, and so my I just didn't have anything that really filled me up anymore. And I was away from my family and that was really rough. And um, so that year was really, really tough and, and really illuminated these issues that were beneath the surface for a while. They just came full force out. And so my eating disorder got a lot worse and um, depression and, and anxiety definitely took over. I was so much in my head constantly. I could barely have a conversation with someone. I was just always thinking about what did I eat earlier? What am I gonna eat later? What are you thinking about me? I'm worried about my future. I don't like who I am. My past sucks. Like it just, it was all about the past, the future and assumptions. It was never just be here. I didn't understand how to be here. And, and so I ended up leaving after one year at San Diego State, uh, came back to Calgary and was recruited to play at Mount Royal. But again, new environment, same struggles, but just became more intense because now I was back with some people that I've known for a long time and in a, an environment that I felt more comfortable. And so my partying just like through the roof, like that was really my new coping mechanism was just, just get drunk, get high and, and numb out. And so naturally that didn't go very well. Um, so <laughs> after one semester at Mount Royal, I quit and then was recruited to play at UVic. And so I figured I'll give this one more shot and went to UVic and again, same stuff, you know, just, kept getting worse. So I, I put in a good year at UVic and then decided, okay, this is not working. I'm not healthy. I'm so unhappy. I ended up meeting my, my partner, Andrew, um, while I was at UVic. We came back, I came back for the summer and met him at a kegger. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes parties actually turn into something. So, um, yeah, we hit it off and I decided what's one more transfer. So I left UVic and transferred to U of A where my brother was taking, uh, he was in dental school at the time. So I moved in with him and, you know, just still wasn't better. You know, I thought again, like, oh, I'm now like in love with this guy and you know, that's what I need. Everything will be fine. And so it was fine for maybe a couple months, but then the same issues kept arising. And so it was when I was in my early 20s still, that I ended up um, cutting myself for the first time. And it was, I tell, this is the first story I tell in my book actually, uh, and just what that was like, because I didn't really know what I was doing. I just had this strong impulse of like, I need to do something. I don't want to be around people, but I feel like I need to be around people. I should go outside, but I don't want to go outside. Uh, I need something, but I don't want to do anything. Like it just, it became this really, really I don't know, like a volcano feeling of like something's going to happen. I just felt so out of control and, um, and, and so much pain and, and also guilt and shame of like, I have nothing to be in pain about. So it was just really frustrating and confusing. And so I ended up cutting myself and I did that a few times until 
until finally it was very obvious what I was doing to the people around me and and I started opening up about what I was going through and some of the healing started happening at that point where I realized I need to start talking about this because I'm this is not going in a positive direction so some of those conversations were quite healing and, and started moving me and um, opening me up and and then I had an existential crisis so this was another huge thing for me where I just again I tell the story deeply in the book and so I don't want to go too in depth but it basically in one moment I realized I had two conflicting beliefs that I I don't believe in this church that I was raised in and everything that they told me was true but I do believe in life after death and that there's a comfortable place that I'm going to land after I die. And I had never really held those two beliefs simultaneously and recognized that they came from the same place. It, it, when I really became aware of that, it was like the ground ripped out from underneath my feet and my body started shaking. I became sick to my stomach and I was dizzy and I couldn't stop crying. It was like the foundation of, of who I was and what I believed was actually just ripped out from underneath me. And that rocked my system. Um, I didn't leave my apartment for three days. I was terrified of death. Suddenly death was everywhere and I didn't know what, how, to, how to think about death anymore. It was something before that it was like, oh, it'll be fine. And then all of a sudden I was like, what if it's not fine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really, really tough. And so it was really in those moments that I realized this is an opportunity to retrain what I believe an opportunity to rebuild my foundation in a way that really serves me instead of what I was told to believe or how I was programmed or what was passed down to me. Uh, so I, I, I took the opportunity on and um, just started reading and opening up more and more. And what I found, one of the most beautiful things from this was that when I would open up to people about what, what was really going on for me, what I was curious about or what I was struggling with, it would be this moment where that person would either say, me too, or they would say, my sibling or my mom or my child or someone I love is going through something very similar. And so this part of who I was that I used to be so ashamed of and embarrassed and confused, I started recognizing I'm not alone in this. And not only am I not alone, but this is like everybody is struggling with this in one way or another. And so not only did that make me feel more comfortable sharing, but it also brought a little bit of purpose into my own recovery. Like if this is something that I can recover from, it's something I can help other people with. And this is really, really important. Just knowing how, how much despair and darkness I'd lived with for so long, I don't want other people to experience that if they don't have to. So that's really what helped me find my purpose was through navigating this darkness and overcoming it, overcoming my eating disorder, overcoming an anxiety disorder, or overcoming depression that would just take over my system. And I felt like I had no control over my mind or my body. When I really understood how the mind and body works and what I can do to practice to calm my nervous system down and strengthen my mental health, I suddenly had my purpose. This is what I want to teach other people. I want to inspire people to understand they can do this as well. You're not stuck. There's a way out. Uh, and that's really how dopamine came about. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very intense story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's super cool. And it's good that you can, you're able to take your experiences and make something good of it. Yeah. As opposed to, like you said, like you're heading down more of a negative path that might not have ended up totally in as good of a place yeah. as you are now. Yeah. And because you can empathize with people, which I'm sure helps a lot because oh, yeah. I know there's a lot of other coaches and other things that 
they're just making assumptions and just trying to help people from a surface level, but you can yeah. actually like feel what people are feeling, oh, yeah. which I'm sure, I'm sure you know, and yeah. I'm sure it helps with connection Definitely with helps. people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's some, that's why I love, you know, I, I call my coaching different things, but one of them is mental health strength training. Uh, and that's something I only landed on in the last six months or a year. Uh, cause I, I didn't know that's really what it was. A lot of this process for me has been building the bridge as I walk the bridge. Like I didn't know where it was going to go, but I knew like this feels good and this this has become my superpower and I want to be doing this all day long. So how can I make this work? And four years later, it's I really know what I'm doing now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just good. It's yeah. always a good feeling to oh, know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, totally. Um, and so do you want to explain where the name came from and what mm -hmm. dopamine means? Yes. So um, there's kind of two parts to this story, actually. So uh, originally can't remember how long ago now, maybe it was like six or seven years ago, when I knew like, I was working for Lululemon and I knew I wanted to do something different, but I wasn't really sure what yet. And I was in Vancouver, it was in the summer, and we'd just gone for the weekend. And um, we were with some friends who, who had MDMA and I'd never done it before. And, and so I was like, yeah, let's do it. I was open to having a new experience. And so I, I took MDMA and I remember within, I'm, I'm someone, when I go and like party, I'm the person that like wanders off and <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. MDMA in my system for the first time ever and I go wander the streets of Vancouver <laughs> and I was like elated. I've, I don't remember at that point have ever feeling that good. Like I just felt so good. I was like smiling at strangers and just like skipping down the street, calling up one friend after another. Like, I love you. I miss you. And, and, and then I had this moment where I realized, okay, I have felt this good before. When I'm eating really well and I'm sleeping well and I'm exercising consistently and I'm excited about something and I'm being creative, like this is how good I feel. And having that realization was huge for me where I, I recognized, okay, I'm, I know I can feel this good and I don't want to rely on drugs ever. I, you know, that's fun occasionally, but I, I want to be able to create this on my own. So it was from that experience that I realized, okay, I want to understand more of what's happening right now and how I can create this on a daily basis. So that sent me into researching about MDMA and different drugs and learning about happy chemicals and, um, and how powerful dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and endorphins are. Um, and so the second part of the story is that I, when I knew that I wanted to start my business, I ended up sitting down with Andrew Obrecht, who is the owner of, um, or co-owner of YYC Cycle. And uh, we just sat down over breakfast and I was just telling him that story and how I want to start this business and I want to be a coach and I want to support people and teach them how to heal themselves. And, and so while I was telling that story, he was just taking notes. And, and it was him who, after the story, he said, how about dopamine? And, and he had written it out and put the A in brackets, and I just loved it. And so we talked through, and it really is, well, it's a play on words. Dopamine is, is one of those happy chemicals that feel really good. It uh, feels like motivation, gives you a lot of energy. Um, it's the feeling you get after checking off something on your to-do list or achieving a goal. And, and the A is in brackets because it kind of looks like an equation. And it really is about a personalized experience. So it's, it's dopamine. Like this is about you, like me meeting you where you're at and really creating a, a program that 
it's going to serve you. So I always have a template. I'm always learning more things, bringing new things in. But every client gets a personalized experience that is just for them. And, and so that's where dopamine comes from. Cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. And has it evolved, like not the name, but has your business and like from what you initially thought you were going to do with it and like start mm-hmm. out, has it evolved now for like what you offer? And totally. Everything? Yeah. Yeah. When it first started, it was very cogn- cognitive. It was really just about you just need to practice. You just need to repeat this and do it over and over again until it becomes the new habit. And you just need to understand how your mind and body works and surround yourself with inspiration and, um, which is great. That's a really important part of the process. But it wasn't until two, I'm, I'm not great with remembering timing, um, two or three years ago. So it was still relatively new in the, in the time of my business when I experienced mindful embodiment for the first time. Um, I had read this book called The Gift of Our Compulsions, which is what helped me heal my own eating disorder. It was the, the first time that I sat with the compulsion and felt the sensation of the compulsion instead of acting out and running away and trying to numb it the way I'd done thousands of times before that. So that was my first experience when I, I realized, okay, there's something to like this body work, like be with sensation. And then I ended up taking many different yoga teacher trainings, which really helped get into that as well. Without knowing what I was doing, I was learning how to get back into my body. And then I took a yoga life coaching course with Robin Campbell. He's a um, psychologist here in Calgary. And the whole course was just about mindful embodiment and how a lot of us are walking around almost like zombies, not in our bodies, so much in our head. And, and so this is why affirmations sometimes don't work is, you know, we can walk around and say like, I'm beautiful, I'm amazing, I'm powerful. Say it all day long, but if your nervous system is activated, it's kind of like it's hitting a brick wall and bouncing off. If you really want to create change and change your habits and change how you feel and how you show up and what you do, you need to calm your nervous system down. And and so this is how my coaching has really shifted is now that's what I do. I, I teach people how to calm their nervous system down. So we still do the cognitive work. We still set goals and talk big picture and um, lots of reflection questions and practice. That's always a huge part of it. You need to repeat what you want more of. You're practicing something whether you choose it or not, and you're focusing on something whether you choose it or not. So choose it. Like Be really intentional with, with what you're doing on a daily basis. And we need to learn how to slow the fuck down. Like Really be still. And feel your breath and feel sensation instead of making it mean something and telling stories and thinking about what's next and what can I do to fill my time. Like To really calm that nervous system down, that's how you get access to your intuition. And so that's... That's what I do now with, with clients. And it looks different for each person. Like depending on how far outside your body are, you are, it, it can be quite scary for some people right. to get back in. You know, there's stuff in there that you haven't acknowledged for a long time. So some people, they get it really quickly. It's just this smooth, beautiful process. And for other people, it is, it's, it's more of a messy dip your toe in and then get safe and then dip your toe back in and then get safe again and until you can really get into all areas of your body and, and sit with yourself instead of acting out or being triggered. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we now, you just touched upon it, we live in the society now that um, glorifies hustling and grinding and right. being so busy and not slowing down and just doing like as many things as possible. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that <laughs> just in mm-hmm. general? But how would you say it's affecting like people's overall 
like life and mindset and everything oh there's there's a reason why mental health struggles are on on a rise right now we need to slow down right it's the more the more i pay attention to my own body um i can tell within a few days of the hustle i can tell like this is not serving me this doesn't feel good and yeah i can override it and i can ignore it for days or weeks or months but at what cost it's going to catch up you're going to shut down and then that you know even if you thought like oh i'm going to get so ahead if i'm working seven days a week or 12 hour days eventually your body's going to shut down and then it could be weeks or months where you can't do anything and then you have to rebuild so for me it's always about the the slow steady trajectory right what's sustainable yeah and then to be able to take time to really calm your system down like it's really unhealthy to to just be in the hustle now for me when it comes to balance it's important to know that sometimes you, maybe there is a week or two or a month where you're hustling and that's what you choose to do and that's fine but there needs to be a point where you you really slow down and you take stock on what you've done and you reflect and like you can't keep that up and it can't be month after month and you know so I, I'll get into little bouts where it is you know a month or a couple weeks where it is like every day there's a lot going on um, but every time I do that I, I, I get very clear that this is not I don't enjoy it it's not serving me. Um, it's not necessary, and and so I'm do it less and less. Like I, I'm very good with boundaries when it comes to protecting my time and ensuring that right. I have space in my day or in my week, um, because I'm I'm doing this so I can enjoy life, not not to not enjoy life right. or to be unhealthy. <laughs> right. Right. I want to live to like I'm 140 or more, I, as long as it's a high quality of life. Like mm-hmm. I want to live for a long time, and so it's, this isn't a race, right? This. Like, take your time. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know you said it's different, obviously, when you have clients, it's different for everybody. But for people listening, what are some of the ways or some of the, like, trigger warnings of burnout mm. that you can see? Like, what are some of the symptoms? And then what are just a few steps people can take, like, right away to yeah, yeah. slow down and mm. gather themselves? Yes. Well, your breath, uh, the quality of your breath will definitely be the probably the easiest thing to notice. Um, I know that when I'm getting into more of a stimulated phase of doing a lot, my breath just becomes a little more shallow and it's actually harder to breathe. So I really pay attention to my breath. It's constantly sending signals, not only to me so I can understand, but to the rest of my body. So maybe I'm aware that my breath is a little shallow. Well, that's telling my whole body that I'm in danger. And so worse things are going to start happening if I don't take control right now. So taking time throughout the day to just focus on your breath, like three to six deep, full inhales, slow, patient exhales. You do that and your body's going to start recognizing, okay, I'm safe, I'm fine, I can calm down. Um, That makes a huge difference. Um, You might notice like more inflammation in your body. I know that when I'm in the hustle, um, that includes like through meals often. And if your body thinks you're in danger, then digesting and absorbing nutrients is not a priority, right? So pretty much anything I eat, it'll make me feel like I'm bloated. So that for me is a sign when food's not feeling well in my body, I need to slow down. Even if it's just like slow down while you're eating, take a few breaths, smell your food before you eat it, right? Do something to tell your body it's time to eat, it's time to digest. Um, over Overthinking, overanalyzing, getting stuck in worry, you know, that we have a thinking mind for a reason. It's really important, but we're not meant to be up here all the time. 
So really it's, it's about noticing patterns. Like too much of anything is no longer a good thing, right? So just notice if, if you're up in your head a lot, that's a sign that something needs to give. You need to find some balance again. You know, if, if your food's not sitting well, if you're saying no to everything or saying yes to everything, just pay attention to the patterns and you're going to start noticing where you're draining your own energy, where it's not necessary. Uh, I find that bookending my day is probably the best way that I've been able to keep this um, navigation through sometimes a, a hectic schedule. So taking time in the morning and time in the evening to connect with myself, close my eyes, whether you want to call it meditation or practicing your focus or calming your system down or just breathing. Um, but doing that and just noticing my state, like how am I feeling? What am I noticing in my body? What do I need more of today? What kind of movement would feel really good right now or later on? Uh, taking stock in the morning and the evening so that I can pay attention to what I'm noticing. So again, I'll notice patterns. If I'm feeling like shit for three days in a row when I'm connecting with myself, okay, I'm going to clear my schedule for the next couple days because I need to take care of this now before it becomes an ongoing issue. So I'm, I'm just, I'm very mindful of the signals I'm getting in my body and I take them seriously. Right. Yeah. Would you say that either your clients or you personally feel like guilt if you clear your schedule or you are taking the time for yourself? Mm. How should people navigate that? Because I know that's a huge thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think this would be a very personal thing. It would depend on your history with guilt or history with clearing your schedule and what people have told you about it. Uh, I love it. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I don't feel guilt around it because it really is, a, it's that classic saying of if your cup's not full, how are you going to fill anybody else's cup? And so I, you know, there might be something where I feel like I can't get rid of something off my schedule. Like if I'm sick or, you know, something really serious in the moment that I can tell I can't show up, then yes, I'll do that. Um, but I, I still will show up sometimes if it's something that I just can't let go of and then I'll clear my schedule for after or something. So there's a right. way of of kind of meeting people halfway with that as well. You don't want to be flaky and just be like, I'm not feeling feeling it, so I'm going to just clear everything for three days. But there are for sure things you can clear without clearing everything, right? right. Whether it's coffee dates or dinner plans or um, appointments, just clear space and don't fill it with anything. Because yeah. really what we need to do is, is calm our nervous system down. We're so overstimulated. And it could be sitting in your car, focusing on your breath, doing a yoga nidra, laying on your back going to a gentle yoga class, sitting out in nature, sitting by the river, anything that just recalibrates your system. So it, it doesn't take that long. You know, when I, what I used to think was self-care was like laying on the couch for days, watching Netflix, watching movies, uh, but I wouldn't feel fueled after that. So I could tell this actually isn't serving me. It's just, it feels good at first and then it no longer feels good anymore. But that's actually a shutdown mode. That's hypoarousal. That's that's your body saying, I've been in stress for so long, I just can't function anymore. So I thought it was introversion. I thought it was self-care, like take this time, just do nothing. But that's not what's happening. So now when I, when I notice that I need to create a little more space in my schedule, I don't need that much, right? It's like half a day where I'm really mindful with what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about and how I'm feeling my body. And then I'm back, you know, and, and at least once a month, I, I, my goal is to have an open weekend so I can go off to the mountains or, or just do whatever I want instead of feeling like I'm a, a slave to my schedule. Um, so that's a part of it as well is that I, 
really look at my schedule and I make sure that I'm building these things in and, you know, crossing off a day as just like, this is my free day. This is my day. And so even if that's the only day that a client can meet, no, I'm going to protect that day and we're going to find another way of working together. Um, so that's, I think that's an important piece too is, you know, honor what you're noticing now, but also plan for it. Look in your schedule, build it in. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what I've been better at too is being like, hey, next Thursday yeah. you're busy. Like pretend yes. that you're not here so yeah. you just, you can't do anything. And exactly. just like reminding yourself. Sometimes I'll even like write it in my calendar. Be like, you promised yourself you're not filling this up yeah. because sometimes you're like, oh, look, it's free. And then you start filling it up again. And totally. So yeah. you do have to. I do the to... same thing. Like I cross it off and, and mm-hmm. I'll even have moments of looking at it where I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we can meet on that day. <laughs> no, no, we can't, actually. How about the night before yeah. or the Monday after? Yeah, there's a lot of days in the week. To, yeah, yeah. To can spread out, in. totally. Yeah. Um, how would you say social media plays into all of this that we're talking about? Mm. Well. Adds another layer totally. to everything. Social media is a, it's like anything else, too much of anything is no longer a good thing. It's a beautiful tool, if that's the way that it's used. Uh, this was actually a big focus of mine at the beginning of this year as I was noticing I am addicted to my phone. I, I kept catching myself scrolling through mindlessly and, you know, moved the app into a folder and where I had to like slide and tap, tap, tap to get it thinking that would make it easier. But, you know, my fingers found it pretty quickly. Um, but I, I think it's just something we need to pay attention to and notice again, like, is this serving me? You know, am I using this as a tool of connection? Is this uplifting me? Is this teaching me things? Is this growing my community? Is it giving me great ideas? Or am I comparing myself and judging myself and and using it as a tool to make me feel like I'm not enough? Am I picking it up first thing in the morning before I've spent time with myself? Am I I checking to see what other people are doing? Right? And we're not perfect. So this is something I so try to pay attention to, but I still get into into phases where I'm, I'm just mindlessly scrolling or just on my phone more than I need to. But as long as you're paying attention to it and noticing it and checking in, is this serving me? We can start to edit and get it back into its right place. But it's, yeah, it's tough. We're bombarded with stimulation and social media is definitely one of those stimulations. Right. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of that, just as from a business perspective, would you say that social media has helped grow your business and reach oh, yeah. clients. Yeah, definitely. It's a two-edged sword. It Social media is, is a two-edged right? sword. <laughs> I, I really, like, nothing is just inherently bad or good. It's about our relationship to it. Mm-hmm. And I, social media is a beautiful tool. I really, really love it. And it's definitely, like some of my greatest friends right now are people that I met through social media. And to be able to spread the word about different events or workshops or uh, anything going on to be able to reach people that you wouldn't otherwise be able to reach like it's that's amazing there's there's so much great that comes from it yeah so again it's just finding striking that balance and and as I'm sure so many people have heard it's you know these are just tiny snapshots in time and and people are really great at putting on a facade and, and sharing like the best moment of their day and and so I'm very mindful about the people that I follow I I don't want to follow people that show a facade of my life's great, right? I want the real. And so some days are great, some moments are great, and other days not so much. And I want to see that as well. And so that's that's what I really try to showcase on my social media channels is, you know, I'm not perfect, and this is what I'm learning, this is what I'm discovering, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I practice. 
So it's not a facade whatsoever. It's really about trying to offer tools in, in more ways. Right. Well, I'm sure that helps with clients and stuff too, because if you were being really fake and everything's perfect on your social media, then I'm mm -hmm. sure you would have less success with clients because they're like, well, how can you look like this and right. on Instagram, yeah. but not this in real life. So Exactly. And that's one of the, the greatest pieces of feedback that I've gotten from clients is that they, you know, I'm always working through something too. So for me to be able to show up and, and share what I'm learning and what I'm going through and what I'm struggling with, it just makes it such a nicer conversation. I'm not on a pedestal. I don't have all the answers, but I'm really comfortable having really uncomfortable conversations and I'm going to ask you questions and we're going to create a plan and I'm going to hold you accountable and, and you're going to hold me accountable in a way that works for you. And so it, we're in it together and, and that just, it makes the relationship feel more real. You know, I, I, I love it. I, yeah, I don't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what have been the biggest challenges running your own business? Mm. Well, <laughs> So many. Um, there's lots of good, for sure, for sure. But you know, when you start something new, you're not making as much money. So I went from, you know, as a manager at Lululemon, I was making a good amount of money. Um, I knew that this would be the case. There wouldn't be as much money, and I was fine with that. But I think probably the hardest part has been pressure from my husband occasionally of like, oh, you want. You want that dream house you've been talking about? Go get a real job. Like th those moments are hard, uh, and we've had many conversations about that of uh, how that makes me feel. And <laughs> um, so that's been tough. Just making less money. It is growing, so it's going in the right direction. Um, sometimes feeling alone in it. You know, it's different when you can show up at work and you're in it together and you're on a team. Uh, so I've really had to work at building a community that's entrepreneurs and coaches and people in the health industry. Like there's many different communities now that I'm a part of that that really helps. So that I just, even though this is a solo venture in some ways, I'm I do not feel alone in any of it. I've got I've got support and people who are happy to help and have conversations in every aspect of my business, which has been great. Um, taxes, learning how to do taxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not so fun. Uh, again, it's gotten better. But yeah, that's a little rough when you're an entrepreneur. Taxes get a little more complicated. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I guess another piece is the, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's what I love and it's also been a, a challenge is the, the constant, what well, seems like constant creation uh, and pivoting and and trying things on and putting things out there. And if they don't work, then just being like, great, what did I learn? And what else can I do? What else can I try? Uh, sometimes that has gotten to be, it has felt like it's too much. And But there's always something to learn from it, right? And, and, and everything has been such a huge growth opportunity that I, I do feel like I'm in a good rhythm now and I'm really figuring out what it looks like on a year-to-year -year basis of when to launch certain programs and projects and when it actually really works for me to take a substantial amount of time off, uh, which is July, actually, July and August. Um, so I'm getting close. I, I'm going to take off a, almost a month and a half of time, at least from teaching classes. I'll meet clients intermittently. Um, 
but I need that space to be able to keep creating in bigger ways. And I guess that's the other challenge is that once once my schedule or once once your schedule is really full, it's it's hard to create these big windows of time to be able to deep dive into creating something new or something different. It's hard when you have an hour here, an hour there, or one day off, and maybe you don't want to work on that day off. So I'm while this time for me is like my summer sabbatical, it's also a, a huge amount of space for me to dive into some projects that need more space to be birthed. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, because you can definitely just get caught up in the day-to-day -day oh, yeah. forever, and yeah. then it's just you never really evolve yes. from that. I yeah. totally yeah. understand that as yeah. well. Yeah, but I'm sure and it's almost July. You have like five days. So. I know. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be close. July, July 7th is the official start date. So, yeah, a few more days. But yeah, I'm, I feel very grateful. I love what I do, and, and I'm so pumped for some time to just play and create as well. And you're working on your second book. Do you want to yeah. just give us a little look into what mm. we can expect for the next yeah, book? Yeah, yeah. So... The second book it will definitely speak to the first book in terms of what I've learned since publishing the first book. I want each book that I write to be also like a snapshot in time of like, this is what I believe now, this is where I'm at, and I'm also so open to being wrong and to continue evolving. And so I'll even do some kind of corrections of, of what, what I've learned since writing the first book and how I would phrase it differently or add depth. Um, one being this conversation around the ego that I've been really wrapped up in in the last uh, year especially so I, I write a lot about the ego in my first book and what I've discovered since publishing it is that I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by talking about the ego that it's actually much much more complex than ego that these the ego really when it comes down to it is um, it's a survival mechanism and that's what it's what it's doing it's serving the purpose of trying to keep us alive and you know, I matter, I have purpose, I'm important. And, and that can get really inflated and that can get really deflated. But we have many subconscious characters or archetypes and each one has qualities of this ego in it. So the more that I've learned and, and tried to create different diagrams to describe how the mind and body works, the ego just kept being this thing. I'm like, I don't know how it fits anymore. I don't get it. Like it's, I have this complex system of how this, how our entire body works and I keep trying to plug this ego in and it was, it just wasn't working. And so I brought this conversation up with my dad over New Year's and he just looked at me and, and he said, well, you know, there's no such thing as an ego, right? Said, what? <laughs> <You're> like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And he, he said, well, the ego comes from Freud, right? And, and everything that Freud has said or done has been debunked like it's it's not science at all but the ego is a cultural echo there's something about it that people have just latched onto and it makes sense like it's it's a great way of describing certain qualities but it's kind of just become this I don't know it's just been threaded into our culture and I don't think people are really looking at well, I'm sure some people are but a lot of us are not looking at well where did this come from and why are we using it right and and so that's what I started getting into and and I just I don't. I don't want. I don't want to use the word ego anymore. I think we're more. We're more complex than that. Like I said, and so I, I want to really dive into that conversation and invite people into a new way of thinking about how, how their mind and body works, and and cut out the ego. So that's going to be part of it. Um, another big part of it is just more about this mindful embodiment and how to practice this on a daily basis and uh, the vagus nerve, 
which is the longest nerve in your body, and that's the connection to the autonomic nervous system. Um, when people say, like, just take a deep belly breath, or um, what's your intuition saying? Like, there's, there's so many things that often a lot of us think are woo-woo. When there's so much research out there now, we understand so much more about the mind and body that this actually isn't woo-woo. It's, it's based in science and physiology, and so I want to help bridge the gap, as so many amazing people have already done. Um, so one of the, the working title for my book at this point is How. I don't know if that's actually going to be the title. It's a working title. But it's, you know, like Simon Sinek's Why. Mm-hmm. I really want to get into how. Like, we know why. We know what we want. We know why we want it. We know, you know what we want to be feeling or what we want for our life, but we don't know how to actually make it happen. And I see in a lot of people this space that I call awareness limbo, where you're so hyper aware of what you're doing and what your habits are, but we're kind of stuck in it. But how do I actually make the change? And what does that look like? And how do I practice? And, and so that's really what I want to focus on is, is always getting back into the how. Like, what does this actually look like on a daily basis in small chunks? Because if it's a, a huge leap of, oh, all you need to do is meditate for 30 minutes and only eat raw foods or, you know, all these big things that in and of themselves are not, it's not like they're bad. Um, but this is just not realistic. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work for everyone. And so we need to understand the many different ways that we can access what we're all really searching for. And so it's finding a way that works for you and something that you'll do daily because what you do daily matters more than what you do once in a while. So it's finding a daily practice that you want to do, not that someone said this is what you should do and then you're just following because that doesn't work either. So that's that's kind of the, the gist of the second book. Sounds super interesting. Yeah. I'm excited to read it. That's awesome. all. It is very interesting you said that because I feel like we've talked so much about why and everyone, even when I interview people, they're like, well, it's the why. It's the why. And it's like, then what? Yeah. <laughs> like, then then what do we all do? Like, yeah. we're all sitting here being like, well, we know why we're here, but yeah. then what are we going to do about it? Exactly. Kind of yeah. Because like, even when I was really, really struggling with mental health, I knew I wanted to be happy. I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to be healthy. And why? Because why not? Like, I, I right. want to live a good life. I want to enjoy life. I want to create amazing things. So I, I knew my why, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how. Right. So that's, yeah, I want to break it down for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for that. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, a couple more questions. Uh, what advice would you give people who want to start their own business? So they have a passion or a side hustle. Um, what would you advise them to dive into that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think... Test pilot it. Like, have conversations. Talk about it. Don't don't hold back like it's your secret gem that someone's going to steal it if you talk about it. You need to talk about it. You need to open up and see how people can support you and what they've been through that might relate for you. Um, finding a support system that knows what it's like. Uh, that's huge to really be surrounded by other people who are going through a similar process or a little further along so that they can, you know, we all need support. You need to be able to talk about something and have people that understand what you're going through. Um, Yeah, so just don't don't keep it as a secret. It's sometimes you start talking about it and people are going to start telling you more of what um, they see a need for and and you won't even, something that you didn't even realize was a need uh, until you had that conversation that might support what you're creating as well. So 
this can be a collaborative process. You don't need to go it alone and it's going to be a lot more fun. You're going to figure things out a lot quicker if you just start opening up and sharing and asking questions and seeing who wants to either support you, um, offer resources, like just, yeah, start spreading it because what's going to make it work in the long run is a support system. So start building that support system now. Right. What I find, especially in Calgary, since we live in Calgary, so mm -hmm. that's where I know that people are very supportive. Like oh, I feel like yeah. people are afraid to ask for help or ask questions, but mm -hmm. everyone will offer. The community is amazing here. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I love Calgary for that reason. Yeah. 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 People are so supportive, so generous. Um, to the point where I, I almost didn't believe it at first. Like, I'm just like, what do you want from me? What, you know, people just want to support. They want to offer insights and yeah, the, such an amazing community here. It is. Yeah. I love it. And it does help since we're all running our own businesses to totally. have a supportive city. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you have a ton, but is there like one book or podcast that you would recommend? Mm. Well, podcasts. I love the Aubrey Marcus podcast. Mm -hmm. Big fan. Um, nine out of ten podcasts that he puts out are gold. Um, nobody's perfect. <laughs> but I really love his conversations around um, psychedelics. He talks mm -hmm. a lot about that, which I find fascinating. He's in an open relationship, and he talks a lot about that, the hardships and the benefits. And um, he's just really great at facilitating conversation with really interesting people. So I love that podcast. Books, yeah, that's tougher for me. I devour books. Um, <laughs> would be a good recent one. Well, kind of my go-to's actually. So one, I already mentioned one. I think the the gift of our compulsions. Mm -hmm. Mary O'Malley, amazing book. Anyone struggling with compulsions of any kind, read that book. It's a game changer. Uh, Nourishing Wisdom by Mark David. That was an amazing one as well. Retrain my relationship of, of how I perceive food. Such a great book. Um, the Untethered Soul, Michael Singer. Such a good book. Uh, yeah, you have to be in the, the right state to read it. Um, but it's amazing. Have you read that one? No, okay. I haven't. It's so good. Yeah, yeah The Untethered Soul. Um, you said one, but I'm just like going through <laughs> all okay. of them. Uh, what do I have in my bag right now? That's gonna Living Awake, Landon Carter. So this actually, so one of the studios I teach at, um, Yoga Nova, Landon Carter came and did a workshop a few weeks ago. He's a he focuses on leadership, and the owner of the studio. I couldn't make it to the workshop, so she gave him gave me his book to read, and I'm almost done it. But this has been a really fascinating book. He was one of the first people that was part of the Landmark series before it was even called Landmark. So a lot of what he talks about is is very landmarky, which right. um, I went to Landmark. That was part of the Lululemon cultures. We got sent to Landmark. Oh, mm -hmm also a fascinating experience but it really is just about how you are responsible for your own life and that's really what it comes down to so there's you can't blame you can't get stuck in victimhood you just need to take responsibility for everything so that you can actually create the change that you desire so he, he kind of tells his story and, and walks through the process of, of just being fully responsible for your life so that's a pretty pretty good book too cool yeah well thank you so much um, where can people find you connect mm -hmm. with you well, I'm all over Calgary, so I'm at a few studios in Calgary. I've come to YYC Cycle, Yoga Nova, Live, Cult. You'll find me there. Um, 
and then on social media, so at Dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-E. I'm on Facebook, Marin McHugh, uh, and then my website, dopamine.com. I have my email plastered all over it. I'm, I, I love connection. I love people reaching out and asking questions. So, yeah, if anything sparked your interest or you want uh, your interest or you want further resources or have a conversation, just reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you.